following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now we're going to jump back in this morning to our series in the book of James. I've got a little bit of a cold going on up here, so if I collapse into a coughing or sneezing fit, Michael's just going to come up and take over. Seamlessly, you won't even notice. He'll just say, as I was saying, and uh, carry on. So we'll see how we go. Uh, so James, we've had a week out now from the series, so let me just, um, just bring us back into that space. We're working our way through this book, uh, this, which is a letter in the Bible uh, this year. We've been in this book for a number of months now. If you're just new today and it's your first time today, that's fine. It doesn't depend on having heard everything else, although the messages are online, so if you want to get the podcast, that you might find that helpful. But James, who wrote this letter, was the brother of Jesus. That's important to know. Uh, so he was in the same family as Jesus, the Mary and Joseph family. He was there, grew up with Jesus, um, saw Jesus, you know, obviously right through his life. And yet, interestingly, James uh, came to faith late in his life. Didn't, as far as we know, didn't become a disciple during Jesus' ministry uh, or even before Jesus' death. It wasn't until Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection that James finally believed and confessed. Um, that's what it took for James. And then from that point on, uh, he was fully committed to Jesus and became a significant leader in the early church, in the Jewish church, the Jerusalem church. And from that place, he's writing this letter out into a whole lot of churches throughout the Mediterranean world, largely Jewish churches, and encouraging them in their, in their Christian lives, encouraging them to grow, encouraging them to reflect the character of Christ and their love for each other and their love for the world. So that's kind of James in a nutshell, but obviously there's a lot more um, involved as we've been tracking through it. We're making good progress, aren't we? We're in chapter 5 now. <coughs> Excuse me. So chapter 5, book of James, and this morning we are in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. All right, now, <clears throat> anyone recognize these? The VHS? Anyone remember VHS? I, this is actually our wedding video. Still on VHS. Haven't got it to DVD yet, which means in 18 years we haven't watched our wedding video because we don't have a video player. So it's been a long time since I've seen this. But this, is, this was my era. This is what I grew up with, you know, the old VHS tapes. And you'd go to the video store and hire your VHS, which is just what we did. It was just totally normal. And you remember the worst thing was when you got the video home and then the last person who'd, who'd hired it had not rewound the tape. And you had to rewind it and you had to sit there and wait until it got back to the beginning, and then you could play the movie from the beginning again. And then we moved from VHS to DVD, and uh, is anyone still in the DVD era? Our family, yes, I see those hands. We need an altar call for the DVD people. 
Our family is still a DVD family. We still go to the DVD store. We got a DVD out for our kids recently and uh, we went to, it's like the last DVD store in the Southern Hemisphere now, I think. These things are so rare and you, you walk through that DVD store, it's like walking through a museum now, isn't it? All these ancient cultural artifacts sitting on the shelves and you wonder why the other people are there. Why aren't you at home? Why are you watching Netflix? Um, but, you know, we're still the DVD. We're just late adopters when it comes to technology. And then, of course, all of you are Netflix now, right? You know, we've got Netflix now. We've got Lightbox now. It's just dial it up. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, you don't have to leave your couch. You can just dial it up, order it. It's right there. It's, it's instant. And that's the world we're living in. I mean, you know, you, I, I think about this in my lifetime, the last 20 years, last 25 years, just how far that's come from VHS to DVD to now online streaming on-demand video. Uh, and just in, in that sphere of life. And it represents, I think, the kind of culture that we're living in today, right? We are living in a now culture. We are living in a now culture where if anything is of value, we should be able to get it now, right? Technology is moving faster and faster and faster and faster, and we assume that we can have what we want, when we want it, right now, immediately, you can, uh, you know, when you're watching a TV program, you don't have to wait till next week to see what happens in the next episode. You can just binge watch it on Netflix. Now you just go burn right through a, a whole series over a weekend. Uh, you can talk to friends, family in other countries, you know, FaceTime them. You can watch live streaming video of what's happening on the other side of the world. You're reading stuff online. You don't even read a screen of stuff now. You just jump from link to link to link to link to link. Nothing's really sustaining our attention very long anymore. And we just expect, we can, you can order products and services, couple of clicks, you're there, we are swiping, we are scrolling, it's instant, it's fast, it's moving, that's how we like it, that's how we want it. And there's a lot of good stuff that comes with that, right? And there's a lot of good. I mean, we can access information, we are more connected to other people, we are more informed, we can get important information out much faster, that's all good. We live in a more connected world, uh, the faster pace of technology is improving our lives in all kinds of ways. But we have to recognize, I think, that with this rapid pace of change and in an instant world, in a now culture, there is a cost. And there's a particular virtue that is very, very hard to cultivate in this culture, and it's the virtue of patience. Because our culture, I think, conditions us towards impatience. You know, there is one thing on your device that you hate to see more than anything else, right? <laughs> that, right? That we just cannot, is immediately, you can just feel the blood pressure in the room just start to rise, the tension. As soon as you see the spinning wheel of death, it's just, it's all bad. It, it, you give that like a couple of seconds and then it's like something's wrong. Something, I've got to upgrade my phone. Something's happened. My device, chuck it out. I've got to get another one. Something's wrong. Calling someone, you're on the phone. Sky's falling. Something's wrong. The spinning wheel has happened for too long. We cannot handle. In this culture, the one thing we won't do is wait, right? We won't wait. We are so conditioned now with the immediacy of technology to having instant, to having now, to having it when I want it on demand. We refuse to wait. We can't handle waiting. And so our culture is conditioning us to be impatient people. And that's a problem because there's a virtue called patience that the Bible talks of often, more often than you might think. James talks about it. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul talks about it. It's an important virtue in our lives. It's part of our Christian character. And it's not just part of our Christian character. It's actually something quite fundamental about our relationship with God 
having patience. We'll unpack that a little bit as we go. But this is vital. And I think in this hurried world, it's maybe one of the hardest virtues to cultivate, the virtue of patience. We're just not that good at slowing down. So James talks about patience in this passage. And of course, he is, he is writing to Christians 2,000 years ago who had none of the technology that we have today, and yet they still struggled with impatience. So it's not just a technology issue, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a human issue. Uh, we are prone to impatience, really, regardless of how much technology we've got around us. So we need to hear this, but maybe all the more in our world today, all the more in our hurried, fast-paced, now instant 5G world, we need to hear this kind of message on patience and take this to heart. There's something important here. And so James unpacks this idea of patience, and he talks about patience in three different ways, three different types of patience or three different areas of life in which we need to cultivate patience. I want to walk through this passage with you and just flesh those out as we go. And so the first area that James talks about having patience is patience in regard to God himself. We need to have patience toward God. He says this in verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, James is writing to believers here in the first century who had an imminent expectation of Christ's return. So Jesus had lived and died and risen again only a couple of decades earlier. This is, James may be the earliest letter in the New Testament that was written. So it's, it's coming very close to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you have all these Christians there who, who knew that, well, Jesus had only ascended to heaven a couple of a few years ago, maybe a couple of decades ago. And so he's going to be coming back any time. He's going to be back any day, any minute, any hour. They didn't expect this was going to be many more years, let alone thousands of years. They expected this was going to be any time. And so they were becoming impatient. And James says, in, in one sense, that's good. Because you're in this state of readiness. It's good to have that imminent expectation that Jesus is going to come back. He could come back any minute, and it's keeping you ready. It's keeping you hopeful. It's keeping you kind of on that edge of expectancy that Jesus is going to return. On the other hand, James says, God's not working according to your timetable. You might expect he's going to come back here or then or, or wherever, but Jesus is going to come back. In fact, even Jesus doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. Only the Father knows that. And the Father is going to send the Son when the Father is good and ready. It's going to be in His time. God doesn't work according to your timetable. He doesn't work according to your calendar. He doesn't work according to your schedule. So you've got to be patient. And we need to hear this, I think. I mean, we've been waiting 2,000 years now for Jesus to return. So in a sense, we've had to have patience. Uh, but I think this is true not only in regard to Jesus returning, but in regard to all the ways that God works in our lives. In regard to all the ways in which we experience and relate to God, we need to have patience because I think what happens is we live in this on-demand kind of world and we start to think that God works the same way, on demand. We start to think that the way we watch Netflix is the way God's going to work, that when we pray, we want answers because we're used to that with Google and Wikipedia. So why isn't God like that? And we pray and we want now. If I've got some problem, I ask God and I expect to see some pretty quick results. And if I need some direction and if I need some clarity in life, I want to pray and I'm going to assume that God's kind of keeping in step with culture and he's going to act pretty quickly. And I think God would say to us, I don't work according to your schedule. 
I don't work according to your calendar, your timetable, your time frame. God's timing is not our timing, right? God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes when we pray and sometimes when we seek guidance and sometimes when we ask God for things, sometimes God waits. Sometimes he doesn't act exactly when we want him to act. And I, th- I don't know exactly why that is, but I think one of the reasons is that there, there are times that God wants to teach us to wait on him. That he wants to teach us what it is to have patience. Because if he always did exactly what you want him to do, and he answered every prayer exactly when you want it answered, we would never learn this discipline. We would never cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in our life. So sometimes God waits, I think, to teach us to be patient. One of the most important spiritual practices in the Bible is the practice of waiting on God. We don't hear much about it. We don't think much about it. But it's there. You read the Psalms. It's there. Waiting on God. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope, waiting on the Lord. And it's that idea of trusting in God's timing. Because typically for us, when you can't quite see what's ahead in your life, some of you maybe are in this space now, you you can't quite see what's coming around the corner. Can't quite see what the next phase of life involves. There's maybe a decision to make. There's something there and the pieces aren't quite lining up and there's not the clarity that you want to have. And what happens when when we have that experience in life? We start to get anxious. We start to worry. Yeah, Impatience is inextricably tied to worry and anxiety. That's what it generates in us. We start to worry. We start to get anxious. Waiting on the Lord is that posture of learning to trust that the timing is out of my hands and I can leave that to God. Waiting on God is being okay in the in-between spaces of life. And being okay to stay in those times where you can't quite see it. And I'm not going to force my way ahead. I'm not just going to push and push and push and push and try and make something happen and force this door to open. Right now, God's got me in a season of waiting. This is true for some of you, right? Right now, God's got you in a season of waiting. And he's wanting to say to you, don't don't just push ahead right now. I've got you where I want you to be. And it's okay to wait. I know you're impatient. I know this is so against the grain of your culture. But wait. Wait. Learn to wait. Learn to trust. Learn to rest. We've got to relax into this, right? Relaxing into the providence of God, that he's in control. He knows. He cares about you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He loves you. He's got you in his hands. But maybe right now he wants you to wait. He wants to teach you to wait. And James says, take a lesson from the farmer. You know, all these, these people would have been so familiar with farming. It was such an agricultural a- economy. And James says, you know, the farmer plants his crops. And then he has to wait. He has to wait for the early rains and the latter rains. That's literally what that text says. The autumn rains and the spring rains. The rains that come at the beginning of the growing season and at the end of the growing season. The early rains and the latter rains. And there's nothing he can do about that. He's got to be faithful. He's got to plant the crops. He's got to tend to them, but then he's got to wait for the rains. And that's what it's going to take for the crops to produce a harvest. The rains have got to come, and they will come if he waits. And there may be some of you in your lives, you know, you've seen the early rains in your life. You know, you've you've seen God work, and you've had those times. You've seen in the past, hey, you've seen God work. You've seen him answer your prayers. 
You've seen him break through. You've seen awesome things. You've seen amazing things. But now you're waiting for the latter rains and you're not seeing it. Now you're waiting for God to do that again. And you're facing another crossroads, facing another challenge. You're facing a new season and it's not like last time. And you want God to do what he did before, but now you're having to wait. And God's saying to you, wait for the latter rains. The latter rains are coming, but you've got to wait for them. You've got to wait and be okay with waiting. Some of you this morning, maybe this is the first time you realize it, but God's got you in the season of waiting. You thought it was just a season of uncertainty. You thought it was a season of confusion. But God's saying to you, no, it's a season of waiting. And I've got work to do in your life while you wait. It's going to be a time of growth. It's going to be a time when he teaches you to trust in him like you've never trusted in him before. It's going to be a time where he teaches you what faith really is, not the theory of faith but what faith looks like, what it really looks like to cling to God. It's going to be a time when he does some good work in your life, but only if you're willing to wait. For some of you this morning, you're in a season of waiting. You're waiting for the latter rains. And God would say to you, they're coming, but you need to wait. Wait on the Lord. And so then James turns a corner and he talks about what patience looks like in regard to one another. And he says in verse 9, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So he's talked about patience in regard to God, patience towards God, waiting on God. And now he talks about patience with each other because we know how easy it is to get impatient with each other, right? You get impatient with your people at work, get impatient with your kids, get impatient with your flatmates, get impatient with your spouse, get impatient with your parents, whoever it is, right? We get impatient and then what do we start to do? Exactly what James says, we grumble, we complain. Usually because we're, we're Kiwis, not to the person's face, just to other people. You know, third party, passive aggressive behavior, that's our style. That's how we do it. But we complain about other people because we get impatient, because they don't work as fast as our device works. And we get impatient. I've taken quite a few weddings over the years, and um, there's been quite a lot of waiting for the bride to arrive. Uh, you know, there's d- you know, different times at which brides decide they want to show up. The longest one that I've had is one hour after the wedding was supposed to start, after the time that it was supposed to start. Now, to be fair, it wasn't her fault. Uh, We were waiting, and then someone got a call half an hour after the wedding was supposed to start saying, look, the the wedding cars have gone to completely the wrong part of the city. Somehow, total confusion. They'd gone half an hour in the wrong direction. And so we're okay. The the bride and the bridesmaids have now got the cars, but they're going to be another half hour before they get there. And so we decided not to tell the guests at that point. Um, It was an outdoor wedding. There was a bar there. The guests were happy, right? They probably drank far too much. There was no food at that stage. But they just kept on waiting. The groom was getting quite impatient. That was quite the test for him. But one hour after the wedding was supposed to start, the bride finally shows up. And funnily enough, one of the first things in the order of service in that wedding was a reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the famous passage on love. And you know how that starts? Love is patient. (laughs) So good. It was like a word from the Lord to the groom that day. Get used to it, buddy, right? (coughs) It's just the beginning. It's funny, though. You think about, that hadn't actually occurred to me until I started preparing this message that the first quality of love in that passage, which is really the passage on love, isn't it, in the Bible, the first quality mentioned of love is patience. And I, I didn't make that association very strongly. We often think love is about helping each other and being kind and serving each other and doing good things. But in fact, when Paul writes that, he says love is patient. One of the most important ways that we can show love to people, and not just people that we're close to, anyone, 
We're called to love all people. One of the ways we show love is through being patient with them. Yeah? Patient with them. Patient with their faults. Patient with their pace. Patient with their growth. Patient with who they are. Because hasn't God been patient with us? Isn't that the thing to remember? You know, what, imagine if God was impatient with us. <laughs> imagine if every time we were a little slow on the uptake with God or a little slow in our growth, a little slow in relating to him and being the kind of people he wants us to be, right? Which is all of us all the time. Imagine if God was impatient and just brought the hammer down on us, brought his fist down on us every time we were slow, not setting the kind of pace that he wants us to. We would be in major trouble. But God is so infinitely patient with us. The Bible uses words like long-suffering, forbearing. He is patient, endlessly patient. And so now God turns to us and says, as my people, would you just show an inkling of my patience to one another? Have I not been endlessly patient? Would you, could you not just show a fraction of that to each other? Did anybody grow up with the music machine album? Anyone in that era? Yeah, a few hands. Yeah, the music machine. There was this kid's album. Uh, we're going back to maybe the 80s, I think, with that. And they had this great song called Have Patience, which is some of the best theology that you will find <clears throat> in these songs. Here's the chorus. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And this is important. Think of all the times when others have to wait for you. Yeah, that's also a really good reminder, isn't it? You know, when we are tempted towards impatience with each other, just think about all the times when we hold other people up, right? And it happens a lot. So James calls us to be patient towards each other. It's an expression of love. It's one of the ways we love each other. And then finally, James talks about what I think is the most difficult aspect of patience, or maybe the most difficult circumstances in which to show patience, and that is when we're suffering when life is really hard. That's maybe the hardest context, isn't it, to have patience. He says in verse 10, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so James uses these two examples of patience in the face of suffering. He uses the prophets and he uses Job. Uh, they're interesting examples. I mean, in one sense, they're very obvious examples of suffering. Certainly the prophets, a lot of the prophets suffered. All right, the, A lot of the prophets in the Old Testament, Israel's prophets, they suffered because their message wasn't popular. People didn't want to hear what they had to say. So you think of someone like Jeremiah, who is thrown into a well and put in the stocks and beaten up and mocked and eventually taken off into exile because of his prophetic message. He suffered. He was a suffering prophet. And then Job, of course, is the classic example in the Bible of suffering. Uh, everything, really, that he had was taken from him. His, his assets, his, his wealth, his livelihood, his family, relationships, and then his health. It was ravaged by suffering. He had nothing. And so clearly, Job is an example of suffering, and Jeremiah and the prophets are examples of suffering. But what's interesting, I think, is that James uses them as examples of patience, in the face of suffering, because that, to me, is not quite so immediately obvious. I mean, we talk about the patience of Job, and this kind of, you know, we just have a little cliche saying, but when you think about it, I don't know that Job was really that patient, was he? When you read his book, 
Does he strike you as a patient guy? I mean, he's a bit of a whinger. He's, you know, he's complaining, he's protesting, he's objecting, he's, he's shaking his fist at God, he's kind of impetuous. Uh, he's, he's protesting, he's, he's wrestling with God a lot of the time. It doesn't seem like what we associate with patience. And certainly Jeremiah is hardly a picture of patience as we tend to define it. I mean, Jeremiah's book is dotted with these little speeches of complaint that Jeremiah fires back at God. It's almost embarrassing. He's supposed to be recording the words of these prophecies. Instead, he's recording his own complaints to God and, and how he's so miserable. And God, why can't you deal more severely with these people and so on? And I can't stand this. And he's, he's, he's a bit of a whinger. And so you have these people. And it doesn't really seem on the face of it that they are that patient. They seem kind of a little bit impatient. But I think that's the point that James is making, is that maybe that tells us something about what patience is and what patience isn't in a biblical sense. That maybe patience is not keeping quiet. You know, we kind of maybe have that association that patience is just this very passive thing. We've got to be patient. We've just got to be sedate and unresponsive, passive and quiet, and just get steamrolled over by life. I don't think that's patience. That certainly wasn't what the patience of Job looked like. That certainly wasn't what the patience of Jeremiah looked like. These guys had a very active kind of patience where they would question God and they would object and protest. And I think that tells us that patience can include questioning these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Patience can include wrestling with God. Patience can include pushing back against God. He's big enough. He can take it. He's got big shoulders. Patience can include protesting, objecting, pleading with God, crying out to Him, lamenting, pouring out our soul, wrestling with Him. Patience is a big enough category to include all of that. It doesn't just mean shutting up and putting up. It can mean a very active engagement with God. But at the end of the day, what patience does mean is that through all of our questioning and our doubting and our objecting and our complaining, that we never lose hold of God. We never lose our grip on faith. We never lose our grip on God. Here's what William Barclay said about Job. His is no unquestioning submission. He struggled and questioned and sometimes even defied but the flame of his faith was never extinguished. That's patience. It's the picture of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And he's wrestling and wrestling, but he will not let go until he receives a blessing. You're wrestling with God, and at the same time, you don't let go. That's patience. And so if you are in that space where life just sucks, it's okay to wrestle with God. And that doesn't mean you're being impatient or ungodly. It's okay to wrestle that out with God. Just cling to Him while you're wrestling. Cling to, don't let go of Him. Question and complain and protest and, and pour your heart out. But don't let go of faith. Cling to Him. Don't let go of God. I've got a little wooden cross in my office in the end of my desk. And uh, I have my quiet time in my office a few days a week, and, and that cross just kind of sits there across the table for me while I'm having that quiet time with God. And sometimes I'll just pick it up and hold it in my hand. And it's a great way. I find it a very helpful way of just I'm holding onto this cross, and it kind of symbolizes for me that idea of just holding on to God, 
holding on to Christ. And there's been some times, there's been some mornings where I have sat in that office and held on to that cross and I have not been in good space. And I've been, there have been times I've been just discouraged. And there have been times I've been incredibly frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, there have been times I've sat there some mornings with huge anxiety and just I can feel the tightness in my chest and I'm holding on to that cross. And there are times, there are days when my Bible sits there unopened on my desk and I'm just holding, because I can't. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. There's times you can't, right? It's just too hard. And there's times I can't pray. It's just too hard. But I just sit there holding on to that cross and it just symbolizes something for me. It just says that even though I can't even talk to you right now, God, I, I don't even have the strength really to read your word. I'm just, I'm just holding on. I'm just holding on. And I'm trusting that you're holding on to me. And for some of you, maybe even having a physical cross like that gives you a way, a tactile way, of holding on to God when life is rubbish and things are just hard and you're just battling. And that's okay. And you don't need to have words, but you can just hold on and know that God is holding on to you. Right? That's patience. That's sometimes what patience looks like. Other times it's very active and it's, very, it's, it's pleading and there's a lot of words and it's all pouring out, but sometimes there's just no words. There's just holding on. But whatever it looks like, just don't let go. Keep holding on to faith. Keep holding on to God through it all. So I want to just ask you to think about your life and I want to ask you to think about what aspect of patience that James has been talking about. God might be pressing on your heart. We all need this virtue in our lives, but it's not just about being more virtuous people, is it? It's about being more grounded in God's grace and letting him transform our lives. But maybe for some of you, there's that sense this morning that God is, is leading you into a season of waiting. Is that true for some of you? That God has you in a space where he's saying, right now, I actually want to teach you to wait because you're so driven and you're so used to being able to push forward. I'm going to teach you to wait. I'm going to teach you to wait on me and it's not going to be comfortable for you because you are used to being able to move forward and set the pace. But God's got you in a place. Maybe you just see it a bit more clearly now than you saw it before, but God's got you in a place of waiting. If that's you, and you know it is because God's prompting your heart this morning, embrace that season of waiting in your life. Don't keep pushing. The Bible says it's hard to push against the goads. Stop pushing and just wait. Don't push against God. Just let him do the work that he's wanting to do. There's good work that he'll do in your life, but you've got to wait. And for some of you, God's pressing on your heart, just that need to be more patient with each other. Maybe there's someone in your life and they're just irritating you and God's saying, just remember how patient I've been with you. Just remember how long-suffering I am with you and think of all the times when others have to wait for you. And maybe that'll make you a little more patient. And maybe for some of you this morning, life sucks and things are bad and you've just got multiple stuff coming at you and you feel quite overwhelmed by it all. And in the midst of that, God is saying, it's okay. It's okay to wrestle and doubt and question and all of that is good and it's right and it's okay. Maybe take a lesson from Job. Maybe take a lesson from Jeremiah this morning and just hold on. Hold on to him. Because one day... The waiting is going to be over, right? One day, the waiting is going to be over. And Christ will return. The trumpet will sound. Christ will return. And we will be with him and he will be with us forever. Faith will give way to sight. The waiting will be 
over. We won't need to be patient in that way anymore. But until that day, let's allow God to cultivate in our lives a patient faith, a hopeful faith, an enduring faith, a persevering faith, a waiting faith. Let's learn to wait on God and wait on one another. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've been so patient with us. God, all the times that we run from you and we are so slow to come back to you and so quick to turn away from you. And God, you just wait for us so kindly with your love and your mercy. And so we're just asking, God, that you would help us to take on your character in our lives. And we, we want to say, God, that we, we can't do any of this in our own strength. We can't do any of this by ourselves. It's way, way beyond us. But God, we pray that this would be a work of your spirit in our lives. And I pray, Lord, for those that you're speaking to this morning, Lord. For some, this is just kind of passing them by. It's another sermon. But Lord, there's others this morning and you're pressing something on their heart. And you're just saying, yeah, this is, this is for you. This is the season that you're in. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of waiting maybe in the midst of uncertainty. Perhaps it's a season of waiting in the midst of suffering. But God's calling you to wait on him. And we thank you, God, that we can wait on you with such trust because you love us so much. So we wait on you now, Lord. And in your word, we put our hope. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.